Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, we're going to be talking about chronic pain and chronic diseases, as I am joined by best-selling author, reality personality, and president of the International Pain Foundation, Barbie Engel. Barbie uses her blog, the media, and her platform to educate people on pain topics, and she is also an e-patient advocate. So we're going to be talking to her and about the multiple diseases that she lives with and what got her started in this process. Barbie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Curtis. I'm so excited to be here to share my story and hopefully to share some resources and tips for your listeners to have better daily living if they have a disease that causes pain. Well, why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Well, you did a really good job on the intro. So um, I am a patient. I am also a professional uh, who helps teach medical professionals how to do their jobs better based on the patient perspective and journey. And I also have published nine books. All of them are related to health, whether that be physical, mental, or spiritual. And I've done reality television and I have my hand in a whole bunch of different projects because life is short and you never know when God will call you home. So I wanted to be sure to do as much as I could when I could so that when I need to take breaks, I can do that too. Well, you talked about how you live with multiple chronic diseases. Tell us about some of them and describe how they affect your life on a daily basis. Sure. I live with multiple diseases, including reflex sympathetic dystrophy. That's the worst one. Reflex is anything in your body that is automatic, kind of goes haywire. So you're swallowing your gastrointestinal system, uh, your vascular system kind of goes haywire. Sympathetic is your nervous system. And uh, if that feels when that is not working correctly, it feels like someone put lighter fluid in your veins and caught you on fire. It's very difficult to put out. And dystrophy is loss of muscle and bone. And then I have some secondary conditions such as dystonia where my body locks up and um, it becomes difficult to move. I also have problems with proprioception, balance and coordination. Um, I've gone through chronic vomiting, gastroparesis where my stomach is not functioning correctly. So the food just sits in there for hours to days. Intestinal ischemia, cardiac ischemia, where they're not, my intestines and my heart aren't getting the proper blood flow to function. Um, I also have microlepsy, which is a type of epilepsy that is triggered by seizure, uh, it triggers seizures, but it's uh, triggered by um, uh, migraines as well as some particular patterns of flashing lights. And um, I also have been through um, breast cancer. I have a genetic form um, of breast cancer that's connected to a specific gene. And I also have valley fever, which is a fungal infection 
that you can get if you're living in or visiting the southwest of the United States or northern Mexico. And it's a fungus that's in the dirt that um, gets kicked up into the air. And if you breathe it in, it can attach to your lungs and wreak havoc on your body, especially your breathing. And I'm dealing with that as well. So I am challenged by a lot of health conditions. They, they affect me in every aspect of my living from finances to relationships to what I'm able to eat, the medications I have to take every day, really all the physical activity, mental, every, every aspect of my life is affected. So it's quite a challenge. Well, you're also a reality TV personality. So you definitely don't let these illnesses stop you. So tell us about your reality TV show and, and what you, the name of it and what it's about. Yes. I've been on a few reality shows. Uh, the, the one that's most known it was on TLC called Extreme Time Cheaters and it wasn't called Extreme Time Cheaters when I first uh, signed up to be a part of the show it was actually called Extreme Time Savers and they focused on my life and uh, all the changes that I had to make to my life because I live with chronic illnesses and um, they featured my husband and myself and uh, we shot eight episodes, although in the United States, they've only aired one of those episodes and they've aired it 21 times so far. Um, the same thing over and over again. So I don't know if they'll ever air the other episodes here in the U.S., but I do uh, hear from people in other countries that have gotten to see some of the other episodes and their, you know, t their take on, on what they saw. But it was all about living life to the fullest, despite the challenges that you live with. And that's um, what my focus was on the show. And it, really, I did it because it's a lot of fun. And it also was a way to teach people about my life, although they take it to the extreme in the show. Uh, it, it's a way to teach people about some of the challenges that I live with in dealing with chronic pain and these other health conditions and um, have some fun at the same time. Like you said, keep living. And then I've also been on um, Brainstormers on the Weather Channel. And then I did nine seasons of the Ken and Barbie show, which again was all about our lives, but it was more of a talk show versus a competition reality show or that type of thing. And, and then I got to do some fun projects um, like the Newlywed Game. And I was on the Doctors and the Talk and, and um, have, have done a whole bunch of smaller projects as well. And I'm right now... Uh, preparing to film for a documentary that will be out in 2023 that's based on my life and, and healthcare and that type of thing. Sounds like you got a lot going on. <laughs> Thank you. I do. I'm blessed by God abundantly. Even though I have a lot of challenges, he has given me a lot of blessings. Absolutely. Speaking of healthcare, give us some tips because you know healthcare is very expensive. Oh, yeah. Give, give us some <laughs> tips on how people can save money on their healthcare bills? Well, this is uh, one of the areas I really like to talk about because I've had over a million dollars in medical bills, yet I'm not in debt from the medical bills and I'm not rich either. So uh, I had to find ways to overcome the medical bills and still be able to obtain the, med the medical care that I needed 
a lot of times, uh, especially patients that are what we call thick case files, like myself, we feel bad about having a maintaining a, a medical bill that we owe the doctor and sometimes get overwhelmed. Um, I've had bills that have shown up like one hospital bill was 18,000. Another hospital bill was 114,000. You know, it, it becomes quite overwhelming. There's some things that I found that, that we can do as, as patients and or caregivers, if, if you're taking care of somebody, to help lower those bills. The first one is negotiate ahead of time when possible. So if you're one of the people who don't have insurance, uh, you can still get health care and um, you can negotiate the pricing ahead of time as well as a, a payment plan. And a lot of times um, when I've been in that situation, they, or even if I've had health insurance and the bill is still too high to uh, totally take care of in a, in a good amount of time, they will see that I'm making an attempt by paying even five or $10 a month to pay those bills off. And after uh, an amount of time, they say, hey, you know, let's settle this. And they might offer me pennies on the dollar to that bill to, to pay the bill outright. And um, when that I've been lucky that every time I've asked for that and or a charity case, if I've had a hospital stay that was quite burdensome, I now know I can ask for a charity case. And it usually is a one page form with a letter that, that you write up stating your case as to, to why you'd like the hospital to write off your bill. And, and um, so I've had some help with that as well as from some local churches and the biggest thing is when the hot, the doctor likes to send their bill before the insurance even processes it. So um, if there's a typo on that bill, when they submit it to the insurance company, the insurance doesn't pay or negotiate the rate as they normally would. And according to JCO, which regulates our hospital systems, eight out of 10 bill, medical bills has a mistake. So it could be something as simple as a misspelling to your name, date of birth, date of service, or a coding billing uh, mistake and um, where they put your diagnosis and or the treatments that you received. So now instead of just paying that bill straight out, I wait until I get my explanation of benefits if everything looks correct from the insurance company and the uh, amount owed is something that I can handle I will go ahead and, and pay it. If I can't pay it, I will submit a letter with that first payment saying, I recognize that this is my bill and I will be making payments over time on this specific date each month. And if it is a case where the doctor's office is charging me, say $1,000, and my insurance has negotiated it and it says I only owe $100, I will either send, send the full amount or send my payment plan, but I will also send a copy of that explanation of benefits and circle it and say, this is my patient responsibility, so this is all you can expect from me. And usually after that, it's paid off or negotiated or they fix their system where, wherever the mistake is. And, um, and I either don't receive another bill or have paid it off um, based on that patient responsibility. And as a thick case file patient, Oftentimes I will, within the first couple of months of the year, pay off my, um, or you know, have, have so much in medical bills that uh, the out-of-pocket maximum is reached for the year. And uh, many times the explanation of benefits will say my portion due is zero. 
So I will just send a copy of that to the doctor's office to say my portion is zero, please update your records. So, because um, once you send that payment, you know, when, when their bill arrives before the explanation of benefits, you're, it's really difficult to get that money back. So um, it's definitely something that patients can do and uh, negotiate, always negotiate. Remember, no is the beginning of a negotiation. So keep going and keep trying and do what you can do in between to make sure that the, med that the medical bill is satisfied. And if they do satisfy it and write a portion off, make sure you get that in writing and keep that letter so that if a collections company or anybody calls you, you have that to present and show, I have proof that they said this was satisfied. Talk about some of the tools that people can use to have properly and timely access to healthcare. Sure. Uh, so as you know, Curtis, I have lived with chronic pain conditions for over 20 years now. So I've developed quite, quite a few tools. Uh, one of the ones that I find my doctors like the most is something I created called a one pager or one sheet. And uh, in, in the media, we use those to, to let people know about us and what we're going to be talking about. But um, with your health doctor, uh, you're basically giving them a, a one pager that talks about uh, your medications that you're on, if you need any refills, any problems or challenges you've had in between uh, your appointments. So the last time they saw you to this time, any questions you've come up with during the month so that you don't forget to ask them. And then uh, when you're filling out that paperwork, when you go to a new doctor's appointment, they always say, um, you know, list your surgeries. And they ask that every time. And after you see so many doctors, you're like, oh, I have too many procedures and surgeries to list. So um, I've included that in very small print at the bottom of my one pager. And when I go to fill out those forms at the doctor's office, I say, see attached instead of starting to write them all out. Cause I could never write them all out by the time they, the nurse calls me back <laughs> for the exam. So um, just writing see attached is definitely a time saver for me. But the thing that my doctors like about it most is uh, when I am on my way to a, an emergency visit at the hospital, my, I can call my doctor, let him or her know that I'm on my way to the hospital and they can use that one pager to update the hospital on the most recent information about me. And uh, my doctors love it for that reason and um, have started uh, doing something similar with their other patients that are complicated cases so that they have that information right there ready to go and they don't have to go back through their notes to try to figure out what is most current and appropriate for that patient when they're on their way into the hospital. So that's one of the biggest things. But also, you know, as a patient, there's four things that they can do. One is uh, researching and understanding, getting, gaining knowledge about their condition. And the more you know and understand, the more you can teach other people. And um, number two would be set the expectation. When you can set the expectation with your family and friends, as well as your medical team, as to what you're facing, what you're going through, what your daily challenges are, the better you do at setting that expectation, the better care you'll receive, not just from your providers, but from your family and friends, because you want to be the um, most active in society that you can so that, that you are being a human doer instead of a human being. The, the next area would be 
paying attention to your, your daily health. And that includes making sure that you're following your doctor's orders, that you are doing what you're supposed to be doing with medications, taking your medications at the same time, and really paying attention to your own personal health. And one of the biggest things in that area, besides, you know, don't smoke, don't drink, or drink to a minimum um, with alcohol, but also drinking water. And most people don't realize how important water is to our, our daily living and even being 10 to 20% dehydrated can have a big effect on your health and how you get through the toughest challenges when it comes to chronic and long-term conditions. And then the fourth area is creating an oasis and having the things around you, whether you're laying in bed or sitting on the couch or, or taking a car ride, having the things around you that you need as tools. So in the car, for instance, I have an extra pillow and blanket. I have an arm pillow and a neck pillow. I, um, I bring tools in the car that I may need, as well as a copy of my medical records on a um, USB um, uh, thumb drive. And um, when I'm in the house, I have my, my area next to the bed and next to my coffee table in the, or side table in the living room, where I make sure that I have my water, my tools that I need for the day, and um, things that, that can help me get through everything I need to, to get through the day. So those are the real four areas of what patients can do to better their daily living. Um, and it really comes down to communicating with other people, knowing that right language. For me, when I first was trying to get diagnosed with RSD, it's a rare disease and there's over 7,000 rare diseases. So no one doctor is going to know all the diseases and conditions that a patient lives with. And um, even if they're a specialist, say a neurologist, to, to know about some diseases that affect you neurologically, they, they may focus in on one specific disease like MS and not focus in on arachnoiditis or, or something else that affects your nervous system. So um, it's really important to get a team around you of medical providers that are able to help you and know and understand the condition you live with so that you don't just have that help at home, but you get the the guidance from the medical professionals as you're going through whatever you are facing uh, when it comes to health. So I know that I just threw a lot out there. <laughs> oh no, that, but, that, that was great information. Yeah, hopefully. Thank you. Let's let's switch over real quick and, and talk about your college head coaching career. Ah, Tell us what yes. that was like and how, how did you guys do? Yeah, so it was a dream come true. I was I was living my best life, or I thought I was, um, and I uh, started coaching. Um, well, I started my own cheer and dance training company, teaching junior high and high school uh, students. And um, the next year after that, I was offered the head coaching position at Washington State University. I was the first coach that they ever hired for cheerleading and dance, and um, I was the uh, I was in charge of the whole entire spirit program. So I had about 50 to 56 athletes every year, including the cheerleaders, the dancers, the pep team, the um, some years we had a junior varsity team, um, as well as our mascot program. And um, I built I was there for eight years and I built the, the program up from um, the first year we went and competed. We got 16th nationally. 
And then my la- my final year that we competed, we were in the top five. We missed second place by like 0.04. <laughs> so it, it was pretty close to the top five in scoring. And uh, one bobble uh, brought us from second place to fifth place. But I was really excited. I was also that year named one of the top 100 coaches in the country and one of the top five choreographers in the country. So um, great honors to have. And it was something I trained for my whole life. I started uh, cheerleading and dance and gymnastics when I was four years old. I remember my dad taking me to a a soccer game for the diplomats, um, which was the Washington diplomats. And um, these women were down on the field and they were cheering and leading the crowd and doing an amazing job. You know, I was four years old, so I don't really know how good my judging skills were. All I knew was that's what I want to do the rest of my life. I want to be one of those people. I also had a learning disability. So uh, my um, therapist that was trying to help me through the learning disability challenges uh, suggested to my parents that they put me in all of these physical activities because um, it would help with my hand-eye coordination and it would help my brain learn how to learn because I was learning differently than the other students in, in um, my classes. And so learning the choreography and, and that type of thing helped me. But then as I became a coach, I got to choreograph myself and started having dreams where I was choreographing in my sleep. And I would wake up and write down these routines and come in and be like, got a new routine for you. It, it really was all consuming and everything I had hoped and dreamed for. And I worked hard for it, but it became a reality. And I held on to it probably longer than I should because I ended up getting sick with RSD uh, while I was coaching. And I still tried to hold on to coaching anyways. And um, slowly over time, doctors you know, kind of helped me get to the point where I knew I couldn't return back to coaching physically. But at that level, it's, it's definitely a physical job. You can't just say, all right, go out and do your thing. You have to actually know what you're doing and sometimes show the technique so that the uh, student athletes can be safe. So it definitely is something I, I love. I got to coach at a Sun Bowl and two Rose Bowls. You know, not very many people on earth have had that experience, especially with the Rose Bowl. So it's something I, I take great pride in and an accomplishment no one can ever take away from me. Although this present day, I could not do what I did back then. Um, it was something very special that I will always hold on to. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Let's talk about some of the treatment options for those suffering with chronic pain and chronic illness. Yeah, there's hundreds of options available. And a lot of times either a doctor will say, well, this is all I have to offer you. And that's not fair because they what they mean is that they offer us one, maybe three, four options for that patient. And if they, if you hear a doctor say, this is all I have to offer, it doesn't mean that that's all that there is for your condition. It means that that's all that that doctor can provide you because that's where they are making their bread and butter. And that's what they've chose to focus on or, or believe in. And, um, it's time to find another provider and, um, realizing that there is so many different options as a patient, it is part of your responsibilities to 
know, learn, understand what your condition is and also what treatment options are available. And don't get talked into a treatment option or um, a, you know, following what your other friends are doing or even your twin sibling is doing if they live with the same condition. It's something that as a patient, you have to be okay with. And one of the mistakes that I made in figuring out what was gonna work best for me was not, was I, I rushed into treatment options and I didn't ask what's gonna happen down the line. If this helps me today, might it be detrimental tomorrow? For instance, um, my condition affects my small nerve fibers. So in, in humans, we have small and large, large nerve fibers and conditions like diabetes fall under large nerve fiber neuropathy. My condition falls under small nerve fiber neuropathy. And I um, didn't know that ice was damaging my small nerve fibers, but so is my medical condition. And so those nerve fibers were dying more quickly. It, every time I applied ice, as a student athlete, I was taught to put ice on an injury or, you know, if, if you, if you have some swelling to put ice on it and with RSD, that's one of the no-nos. So really knowing and understanding your condition can help guide you as to what treatment options might be best for you, but also learning the long-term effects of any treatment option that you do take on. Um, whether it be something prescribed or if you get involved in a clinical trial, it really does matter for your future what you choose to do now. And paying attention to that is something that I highly suggest. Um, for instance, an another, another example, I, I had a doctor saying that she was giving a particular medication to patients and that they were being cured. And you know, I, I knew enough to question at that point, well, what do you mean by cure? Because there is no known cure for this condition. And she was like, well, they never come back. And, and then I'm like, well, maybe they never come back because this is what you had to offer them. And they knew you had nothing else to offer. And it didn't work for them. Just because a patient doesn't come back doesn't mean you cured them. It just means that they went on to find other options. And um, so if you are a patient and a provider gives you a treatment and it does not help, it would be very helpful to go back and let that provider know whether you go in person or you write a letter um, nicely to that provider so that they have some feedback on the, the treatment options that they're offering and they can get a, a sense of who it's helping and who it's not. You know, that, that could be very important as well. So, uh, but there's everything from, for my condition, there's, you know, there's devices that can be implanted into your body to help with nerve stimulation. There's medications, there's mindfulness such as um, VR and meditation, um, virtual reality VR, which I love myself, but um, you know, massage therapy, occupational therapy, chiropractics, um, cupping, tapping, the music therapy, aromatherapy, there's so many different types of, of treatment options and they all might not help cure you. Cause like I said, my conditions don't really have a cure, but they can help you manage and maintain and give you a better life expectancy and help you live more life on a daily basis. So it, it, it really is up to you to figure out and find out what will work best 
for you by doing the research and studying and knowing about your condition and the options that are available. And you can go to internationalpain.org and we have over 150 conditions listed with some possible treatments that might be a place to start uh, on our website under our conditions tab. So um, if you don't know where to start and, and want a more robust list for whatever condition that you may be living with, that's a really good place to start right there. Well, since you already mentioned it, go ahead and tell us about your International Pain Foundation organization and why you decided to found, found it. Oh, thank you, Chris. Yes, International Pain Foundation uh, focuses on four areas, education, awareness, social events, and access to care. And um, our education programs are for patients, caregivers, and providers, medical providers. Our uh, awareness is for the public because oftentimes um, just, you know, maybe we can plant a seed and that can grow into a, a tree of knowledge when the person needs it. So we're hoping to plant those seeds in the public, even though not all of the public might need the information at this time. One day they probably will. And um, social events, because a lot of times patients isolate themselves, we want them to be able to really live life more fulfilling. So, so we do a lot of social events for patients where we've rented out before COVID, rented out movie theaters and done premieres and, and um, card games and Christmas projects where we exchange, exchange greeting cards and all, all kinds of, of uh, projects um, that are social and get people active and participating with other people. And then um, access to care, which is everything from legislation to peer-to-peer uh, -peer mentoring to um, talking to people in the industry who are working on future treatment options and, um, and then also uh, working with medical advisors for um, different conditions that can, can help patients that are low income or underinsured find access to getting actual treatment with their medical providers, as well as providing um, different, we've done different types of patient grants over the years, everything from financial, which right now we don't have any um, financial grants available, but we also, we also do some durable medical equipment and patients will come and, and um, if they need like scooters, wheelchairs, or balance bars in their home, or um, uh, one veteran that we worked with uh, needed a, a, a heater for his house, a water heater for his house. So um, we've done a variety of things and everybody has their own individual needs as to what they need. Um, and it, we kind of got started with the foundation uh, based on my stepsister and myself, my family, every year at Thanksgiving, we would decide on a project to do between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And my brother, my stepsister had passed away in 2006, in July of 2006. And I had just been diagnosed the year before. And my brother said, let's do something to help patients that are in Melanie and Barbie's situation. And my dad said, well, that's more of a year round project than a, than a one month project, like feeding the homeless or doing Christmas caroling or um, going to nursing homes and, and talking and being with um, elderly patients that don't have a lot of family around anymore. And um, he said, you know, if we're going to do this, we really have to do it right. And um, that was November, Thanksgiving, 2006. And by January, 2007, we had started the nonprofit and 
Um, at first, that first year was just for people with RSD. And then after that, it was the next year went to uh, anybody with a nerve pain condition. And then by 2012, it was anybody with chronic pain, whether it be physical, spiritual, or emotional, mental uh, pain. And then um, by 2015, we, um, when we first started, we went with the, the name for our charity, Power of Pain Foundation, because pain made me and my family better people, although pain sucks, definitely sucks. Um, it definitely gave us different life skills and focuses that we didn't have prior to having a family member or being a family member living with a chronic pain condition. And, um, and so in 2015, you know, we, we recognized that our board of directors had expanded past our family and um, also our um, focus was more global than state oriented or federally, you know, uh, United States oriented. We had people from at that time about 14 different countries. I think we have 17 countries now. Um, so we ended up uh, reapplying and refocusing the um, foundation to International Pain Foundation, which um, helped us reach a more global audience uh, and, and grow our network even bigger. So that's kind of the gist of how we got started and what we do. Um, but, and you can find more information at internationalpain.org about the foundation and all the projects that we do. Tell us about your book, what, what the readers can expect when they read it and where they can pick it up at. Awesome. Yeah, I actually have nine books, but my um, most recent book is called From Wheels to Heels. And um, it, it really was a book where I demonstrated that it's possible to find treatments. It, it has my story in it, but it also has tips, tricks, resources, and tools that patients can use on a daily basis to um, help themselves. And, you know, they, they get a sense of my story, but I'm hoping that it will help them be creative in their own care and at reaching out, knowing that it's okay to ask for help, to know that it's okay to say, this isn't working for me. There has to be some other way. Or if they've been doing the same treatment for the past five years, going and having a conversation with their medical team to say, hey, I've been doing this for five years. What else is new? What's come down the pipeline? What can I get? Is, is there anything else that could be helping me better? And, um, you know, it, it really uh, focuses on um, my rare diseases and, and helping other people get through the, the challenges of the healthcare system from my perspective. Tell us the pros and cons. You know, the telehealth care has really kicked off since the pandemic, but tell us the pros and cons of telehealth care. Oh goodness, yeah, that's a great question too. Um, so with 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 healthcare, a lot of times it's very difficult to get in the car and and use your energy pennies to go get the the help that you need from your medical providers. And a lot of times, patients, especially with pain, are required to go to their medical providers at least once a month, especially if they're providing medications for you. And um, when the pandemic hit. I've been using telehealth since 2015 and loving it, but when the pandemic hit, the rest of the world kind of caught up with me, or at least the United States, and, um, and laws started passing that insurance companies had to pay for telehealth, 
and um, giving patients the, the ability to have a medical appointment without exposing them to the germs that are in a medical facility, as well as spending all the energy to, to get to and from the appointment, especially if they have to have a caregiver. Like with me, with epilepsy, I don't drive a lot. I, I need to, to have a caregiver with me um, to, to help drive me and get me to those appointments. And telehealth really changed that for me and millions of other patients, whether you have a chronic condition or not, um, you can use telehealth and have a phone conversation or a video conversation with your healthcare provider to get the help and, and the care that you need in a more timely manner, but also with spending less energy so that you can get through that challenge that you're facing in a, in a more timely manner. It, it really, not every state has passed telehealth. There has been some um, limited federal legislation and then states are passing uh, more complementary help with um, telemedicine. For instance, I live in Arizona and Governor Ducey signed a law last year um, to uh, bring telemedicine up to the same levels as going to see a medical provider uh, in person. And that you can do that for mental health as well as physical health and to have access to all that. Now, there is times when a telehealth appointment won't be appropriate for you. For instance, I had a, a um, for part of Valley Fever, I um, started growing some tumors and one of them was in the back of my throat. And I sent my doctor a picture uh, using text messaging and he said, call me and do a video chat. So I did that next. That's what telehealth is. And he said, you know, this is something that could be a little more dangerous. So I need you to go see an ear, nose and throat specialist and I want you to go in person. And so I, I made an, an appointment to go in person. So sometimes they'll be able to do a telemedicine appointment and you can be seen faster. And then if it needs to get escalated, then you can go into the doctor's office to take that to the next level. And to have access to that was really beneficial and important uh, for me, especially in the time of, of COVID. And right now it's, it's uh, flu season. So going into a medical facility can be um, dangerous for many people who have um, compromised immune systems like myself. It, I hope people do take advantage of using telehealth, telemedicine uh, as much as possible because that will help cut down on the spread of some of the um, acute conditions that we also get on top of our chronic pain. You have any current or upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about? Um, sure. Well, recently, I, I'll tell you about one we just finished was our November project where we raised awareness during the month of November about nerve pain conditions specifically. And this past November, we shattered records with um, 60 million impressions uh, on our social media. So very, very exciting month. And um the, the next best year was like 2015 with 47 million interactions. So um, definitely very proud of that. Uh, but coming up, we are working on some legislation to get access to uh, medications. Here in Arizona, we're working with uh, Senator Nancy Bardo uh, in her office to get some legislation passed to give some rights to chronic pain patients during this opioid uh, crisis that's going on. 
and uh, with the addiction patients and um, to make sure that even though um, chronic pain patients also need to take opiates that they won't be held away from them um, when they're trying to work on the um, opioid epidemic for those who have addiction challenges. And um, I'm also going to be uh, participating in the rare disease um, week out in Washington, DC in February, 2022. Uh, once again, working on the International Pain Summit for 2022, as well as we, we spend the whole next year getting ready for November, 2022. And then we also focus on each specific condition it has its own awareness month. So um, we have some projects coming up in, in the next coming months to um, work on specific disease awareness for different challenges and issues, as well as a um, project for seniors living with chronic illnesses. So quite a lot coming up. <laughs> Sounds like it. Well, how can people stay connected with you so we can keep up with the projects. Give out that website again, the social media links so people can know what's going on with you guys. Oh, thank you. So for International Pain Foundation, it's really easy. Internationalpain.org has all of our information on our website about what we do and who to contact for each different project, as well as all of our social medias are available directly from our homepage at the top right of the page. And then for me personally, you can go to my website, as Curtis said, at the beginning, Barbie Engel is my name, and that's my website, barbieengel.com. And um, you can also connect to me personally through my social medias, and those are also available on my homepage at the top right uh, that you can just click through to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube, and um, also read our blogs. And uh, we also have the International Pain Foundation's official magazine, I Pain Living Magazine, available at ipainliving.org and you can check that out as well. Give us some final thoughts to close it out. Anything that you would wanted to discuss that I missed, just close us out with some final thoughts. I have two final thoughts. First is let's all, everybody that's listening right now, give Curtis some props, live in the dream podcast needs your five-star ratings. Let him know how awesome he is and what a great job he's doing by giving him a five-star rating and, and uh, leave a comment if, if you'd like as well. But at the minimum, give him a five-star rating because we all know he's five stars. And the second thing is, remember that there is great reason for hope because there is help. And all you have to do is reach out and seek it. Well, you definitely are five stars as well with the oh. healthcare topic. And I've learned a lot and I hope my listeners learn a lot. And I also hope the listeners will follow, rate, review, and share this to others, as many people as possible, so they can learn a lot. And Android listeners, go download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app from the Google Play Store. And Barbie, I would like to take this time to thank you for joining me today. Oh, it was my pleasure. I'm so happy that you let me be a part of your podcast and uh, share my story of living the dream. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. dream.